Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. Morning, we are continuing through Mark chapter 3. And I have a difficult question that seemed like we just stacked them up two in a row this week. We started last week with... Uh, the unforgivable sin, and so that was a, a, a nice sermon topic to, to, to go through. And we're, we're, we're marching forward with uh, much of the same, um, what should be done when your family hinders your discipleship? <laughs> so, well, well, goodness, Matt, that's a really uplifting question. Thank you for asking. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where as I've been going through looking at the book of Mark and you, you see these different sections that come up, it's like, man, is that really what we need to be talking about right now? Like, really, is, is that the topic? And it's like, well, yeah, we've committed to going through the book of Mark in order. So that, that means that we're not going to skip over the uncomfortable. We're not going to skip over the hard. We're not going to skip over the thing that seems like it might not apply because what I would hazard a guess to say, and this is no reflection on the preaching within Wood Street, but I think universally there is probably a inclination because it exists within me to not talk about the difficult things. <laughs> it's natural to say, you know, I don't really want to go over this particular area of scripture because this isn't something that feels good. I would much rather skip to the part where we see Jesus healing the, the, the leper, he's healing the blind man, or, you know, whatever that, that feel-good story is. But there's things for us to learn and receive from Scripture in all of these different areas. And so as Jesus' ministry continues to grow, his family, as we see in Mark chapter 3, attempts to hinder that progress. And... You know, maybe that's your story. Maybe that's your experience that, that as you came to Christ, as you were trying to develop a relationship with Christ, that there was family relationships that got in the way, that, that were hindering that growth. And maybe it's not. Maybe that isn't the story at all. And what's interesting to consider is that what may very well represent one of the greatest assets in some people's walks with Christ can also represent one of the biggest struggles in other people's lives. And I would say that that's the case. Like, if we took a poll, which I'm not going to, don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> that I think we would say that there are, are examples of both of those situations that exist in this room today. I can almost guarantee it. There are those whose families support and nurture their growth in the body of Christ. Families who, who pour out consistently into one another. And does that mean that there's never a difficulty in the relationship, that everybody just gets along just fine? No. <laughs> no, that's, that's not what it means. But it means that Jesus is consistently the center of that family interaction. But at the same time, in, in all of these different households, there's also those who feel like they have been playing catch-up ever since they came to Christ because they never had that foundation. They never had that foundation, and they don't have that foundation to build on today. And I bet 
if we were to take a poll of psychologists, therapists, and counselors, that they would probably tell us that a huge percentage of their interactions with their patients deals with relationships. That it deals with relationships between family, parent, child, spouse. That that the main points of interactions that they deal with are, are surrounding those types of relationships. And when those relationships don't have a solid grounding in Christ, it's easy to understand why. So Mark 3, verses 31 through 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That's a hard thing to hear. That's a hard thing to look, to, to come and to say, okay, I'm modeling my relationships after Christ, right? And, and to see how it seems like Jesus is just casting aside his, his, his family, how does that work? How, how, how does that jive with what we know about God? So let's just ask this question for a minute. Do you think it's likely that Jesus was dishonoring his mother and his brothers and that he was, was actually breaking one of the Ten Commandments and that that would be a sin, right? Is it likely that that was what was going on or is it more likely that maybe there's a context or a lack of understanding on my part that is leading me to that conclusion? It's the second one. So, since we know it's the second one, then obviously the follow-up question is, well, what is happening here? Because on the surface, this doesn't feel very good. So, before we go too far, we need to remember back to verse 21 that we just talked about, right? Where Jesus' family is, is coming up to him and saying, hey, you need to stop what it is you're doing. You are embarrassing us. Jesus is, is disrupting the flow. And this is significant. The lame can walk. The blind can see. The deaf can hear. But you're embarrassing us and you need to stop. That's the, the statement that's being made here by, by Jesus' family at that time. And so that's, that's what happens first. And then next, Jesus shares about the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin of, of blaspheming the, whole, the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that last week. That, that what that is, is it's, it's refusing the forgiveness from the one who is, is wanting to forgive you. It's rejecting God over and over and over again. And then we have the verses above, the verses that, if taken out of context, sound pretty harsh and pretty disrespectful. Let's just call it what it is. So, what did Jesus mean when he was talking about family? As Jesus' family is increasing their opposition towards his work, towards the the work of his ministry on earth, his disciples increase their support. His disciples are, are coming and gathering around him, right? 
the family is growing further and further away while the disciples are coming closer and closer. Matthew 13, 55 through 56. There's a question that gets asked, isn't this the carpenter's son? He's got a mom and dad and like four brothers and a couple of sisters. Isn't that who this is? Like, who is this guy that is doing all of this? And if we think about Jesus' biological family, his, his physical family on earth, we have Joseph. Joseph's probably dead at this point. We don't really know when Joseph dies exactly. We don't really know how Joseph died. There's, there's lots of little like rabbit trails you can go down that, that talk about that. But, but it's probably safe to say that you know when Jesus is about 30, his dad's dead. One interesting point is if we go back to David, David was a shepherd, right? And after he was a shepherd, he became a king. And while he was king, God made a promise to David. And he said that out of your bloodline, there's going to be a king who's going to rule forever. The king of kings. And we know that that's Jesus, right? One point that's, that's interesting to think about is if Joseph was still alive while Jesus was on the earth, the way lineage works, Jesus wouldn't have been king. He would have been prince, right? And so, obviously, God orchestrates all of these events, including the death of Jesus' father, Joseph, earthly father, so that he truly was the king. Joseph was in the house and line of David, and, and so there's this, this orchestration of time of events that's taking place within Jesus' earthly family. And so we have Joseph, where this is taking place, and then we have Mary, the teenage daughter, betrothed to the town carpenter, and things are looking great for her. And she gets a knock on the door, and it's an angel. Maybe they didn't use doors. I don't know. But you're, you're going to have a baby. Oh, I know. Joseph and I are, are planning to have a large family someday. And he says, no, you're going to have a baby right now. You're carrying the Messiah in your womb. And her reputation changes forever. And, and we've talked about what that's like, right? Where the, there's some... Negative connotations that happen when you are pregnant and you're not married, especially in that culture. Her reputation changes. But then what happens? Shepherds come. Shepherds come and they tell her everything that they've experienced, that there's uh, multitudes of heavenly hosts proclaiming that the Savior has been born, that the Messiah has come. Wise men come later on and they're presenting gifts to the one true king. Jesus never sinned as a child. Mary is raising this boy who never sinned. Jesus had brothers and sisters, right? We, in, in just that, that uh, chapter in, in Matthew, we see he has at least four brothers and a couple of sisters. So, and he was the oldest. Can you imagine being the younger sibling of Jesus? James comes in happy that he learned how to swim. And it's like, oh yeah, Jesus was just like walking on water over there the other day. 
Dad, I, f- I fixed dinner for the family. And it's like, well, that's great. Jesus just fed the whole town um, with those two fish that we caught this morning. You know, what a shadow to be living in. And, you know, as they, they talk about the, the different brothers of Jesus, we have James. And the James that, that we're referring to as a, a brother of Jesus isn't one of the Jameses of the disciples that are named James, right? James is, is the one who wrote the book of James. You want to know what it says in James 1.1? 1, 1? The very first sentence. James a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. A bondservant of my big brother. But he wasn't bragging about, hey, I'm the little brother to Jesus Christ. He said, my, my family relationship comes secondary to the spiritual relationship that I have with my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's important. Let's hang on to that. And another brother that you probably know something about, his name was Judas. And it's not the Judas that you were thinking about. (laughs) Okay? Not the Judas you're thinking of. Can you imagine for just a minute why someone named Judas may kind of adjust their name and take a little bit of a nickname further on down the road after certain events take place? And maybe they stop being called Judas and maybe they start becoming Jude. And so if you look at the book of Jude that's in the New Testament, that's also Jesus' brother. And you want to know what he says in his first chapter, in his first sentence. Jude, a bondservant of Christ and a brother of James. Spiritual connection is so much more important than family connection. And it's that recognition that's taking place in those two men specifically that you start to see that. And the passage this morning, that we see that Jesus' family, his, his physical family, you guys understand when I say physical, I'm talking like the biological group that he grew up with, right? Are we kind of on the same page when I'm talking about that? His physical family is trying to hinder his ministry, but later on, we see that they follow him as Lord. But when we hear this statement from Jesus, it does seem harsh. What's going on? Jesus never once taught his followers to disassociate, disregard, or dishonor their families. Of course not. That would be terrible. Did he tell his disciples that they needed to leave their families to to come and follow him? Yeah. It was Paul who, who told Timothy that someone who fails to take care of their family is worse than an unbeliever. It's clearly my responsibility to care for my family, and it doesn't fall to anyone else. That, that is an, an obligation that is right, that, that exists within the body of Christ. When Jesus is on the cross, this is, you want the biggest, clearest example of what it means to be a man? Jesus is nailed to the cross, suffering torture beyond anything that we could ever consider, taking on 
all of the sin of the world, absorbing God's wrath on behalf of you. And in that moment, he takes the time to say, Mary, I want you to to know that John's looking after you. That's what, what Jesus actually thought about his family. Is it in the midst of dying for the sins of the world, I need to look out for my mom. That's what it means to be a man. So Jesus prioritized relationship. And he was, what we see in this particular section of scripture is, is Jesus prioritizing the relationship of those that were inside over those who were outside. Over and over and over again, as we've been going through Mark, we see time and time again that Jesus brings those that are outside inside. He takes the leper who, who can't be part of the community and says you're healed and he, he becomes part of the community. He takes the, the blind who can't see and he brings them in and they can see. He takes the tax collector who's been, been shunned and ridiculed and says, no, you're now part of the family of God. The outside is, is coming inside. His family, in this particular case, his his physical family is on the outside. If they wanted to come in, doesn't it seem like if Mary, the mother of Jesus, said, hey, I'd like to come and have a seat inside the house so I can watch my boy preach, it seems like somebody would probably be like, yeah, let's get out of the way. But no, she was on the outside saying, hey, Jesus, I need you to come here. I want to talk to you about something. This needs to stop. It appears that they're on the outside by choice. I mean, okay, there's a little bit of license that's being taken here. We don't know everything about that. And when Jesus is told that his mother and brothers are outside, he asks, who are my mother and brothers? And, you know, it would be really interesting to know how Jesus said that. Like, if we could just have the audiobook version for just a minute and be like, what, what was the tone? Because it matters. Like, well, who are my mother and brothers? Well, that, that sends a message, right? And I would hazard to guess that that probably wasn't the message that he sent. <laughs> or was it a broken and caring whisper to those who were directly in front of him saying, who are my, my mother and my brothers? You guys are just as close to me, if not closer, than that family that's out there because we are all part of the family of Christ that's being put together. What we we see here is Jesus reminding his followers that a spiritual family will oftentimes be closer than a physical family. And some of you have gone through that. Where the the biggest obstacle to you following Christ has been your parents, your children, your spouse. And we all have these relationships that make things harder at times. Family makes things hard, right? I think we could just say that as an umbrella statement. And that's true in whatever way you want to interpret it. If Christ has truly come 
as a savior to all, uniting all of mankind in his body, then that means that I have more in common with a believer sitting in a hut in Kenya, Africa, who doesn't speak English and doesn't know my name than I do with my next door neighbor who's my age, my ethnicity, speaks my language, but doesn't know Jesus. The commonality of the cross makes us a family. So what, what does this mean for your family? It could mean that maybe your family is resistant or, or hostile towards your discipleship, towards your following Christ. When I've heard testimony of people that have been saved in the Middle East, that are, are in the Christian church in the middle of Iran, for example, that is very much a real thing in their life on a day-to-day basis. But it can happen here as well. Sometimes family can be so caught in brokenness that to have a family member rise out of it brings about guilt, brings about shame. And so they want to pull someone else back in with them so that they don't have to deal with that type of guilt and that type of shame. John says he He, being Jesus, came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God. Family relationships. Did you know that that I'm not truly loving my wife if I prioritize her above Jesus. Do you know that? If I put my wife in the position of God, she doesn't benefit. In fact, she's going to suffer because of it. If I put my children in the place of God, they do not benefit. Teachers in the room, I I know you know what I mean. (laughs) You must learn how to love your family while being led by Jesus. I have to learn over and over and over again how to love my family while being led by Jesus. How do I show love to my wife while I'm being led by Jesus? I, I saw the, the clearest, simplest explanation for marriage. It's simple. Marriage is simple. Follow Jesus and put my spouse's needs in front of my own at all times. And if if both parties do that successfully, marriage works. That's all it is. Like, I don't know why this has been such a hard thing all this time. (laughs) Like... Somebody needs to publish this somewhere. Like, this needs to be put on a billboard so we can figure this out. Now, if I follow Christ and put my wife's needs ahead of my own in all things, it just works. It's like, well, Matt, you have to look out for yourself. You have to take, I don't have to look out for myself because my wife is looking out for me. 
And as long as both of those things are happening at the same time, then it works. What happens and what is so broken in this society that we live in is we have husbands that are thinking that the wife exists to serve you without any regard for all of the things that that person is doing. Guys, we got to wake up. I can tell you as a husband, the most successful times that I've had in my relationship, probably fewer than they should be, is, <laughs> is when I put my needs aside and say, what do I need to do to serve my wife and put her needs in front of mine? But it comes to an equal understanding. It cannot be one person doing that because as soon as it becomes one person saying, well, I could get used to this. This feels good. Somebody else looking for my needs, taking, putting me first. And as soon as that's just received and not reciprocated, then it's no longer a reflection of the love of Christ. How do I show love to my children while I'm being led by Jesus? I follow Jesus and I provide boundaries that demonstrate what it means to be a follower of Christ. And sometimes that means letting the child hit the bottom. But Matt, I love him. I love them so much. I, I just don't want them to, to hurt. I don't want them to suffer. Sometimes kids need to suffer. Sometimes there needs to be an understanding of the situation that they're in and they can't be rescued. There is a, a, a journal. It was, it was like, a, like a daily devotion type thing that I read that the father of the prodigal loved the son the entire time. But he never went to the son while he was in the pig pen and put the ring and the cloak on him. He waited until the son came home, and then he put the ring and the cloak on him. And what we see happen time and time again, and what, what destroys the parent-child relationship is when the parent is so intent on rescuing the child that they put the cloak and the ring on them while they're still in the midst of all of the mess. And it, what it does is it just prolongs how long that kid has to stay in that mess. Sometimes it means discipline is needed, but even in that we rely on Christ, not ourselves. Otherwise we run the risk of pushing our own agenda, our own idea, and we push them away. So, so that's, that's what it means to, to follow Christ in my family. And so what does this mean for the church? How do we as a church follow Christ? If your church doesn't feel like a family, then something is broken. If we are not your family, if, if Wood Street Chapel does not feel like your family and you are a part of this body of Christ, then something is out of balance and we need to figure out what it is. It's either you or it's me. <laughs> and, and it can't be that way. So I'm going to say this and we'll, we'll see how this goes. Um, when a part of my family gets up and leaves and never comes back and doesn't tell me why, 
It's just like if my child or my wife or my sister or my mother or my father were to get up from my family and leave and not tell me why. Well, Matt, that's, that seems a little dramatic. But that's what it is. <laughs> and the, the broken part, you know, people aren't making a choice to leave and saying, well, let's stick it to him because I know this is really going to hurt. People make that choice to leave because they don't understand that that's the bond that is supposed to exist here at Wood Street Chapel. That's the family that we're supposed to be, is that tight of a family. But what has happened is the, I don't know if it's fair to say the Western church, but let's just go with me on this. So if, if we say it's the Western church has kind of had this idea of, well, this is just kind of like the buffet of Christianity. We're going to show up, take what we need, and, and we'll head out and, you know, we'll catch you later if anything comes up. That's not what this was ever meant to be. What we see here is we look at, at what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Did you know that obedience isn't the prerequisite to being in God's family? Thank goodness. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have like no one here. Uh, <laughs> obedience is not the prerequisite to being in God's family, but it's the product of being in God's family. It's like what we talked about this morning in, in the adult Sunday school class. The, the mission of the church, part of what it means to be part of the body of Christ, is that I become more and more like Christ. And as I become more and more like Christ, I begin to be more obedient to the things that Christ is calling me to, the things that Holy Spirit is calling me to on a daily basis. And in doing so, I become more like Christ. You see how this kind of, it, it works. It's a cycle. And so the ideal scenario that we run into is that my physical family is also my faith family. Like that's the, that's the winning combination. That's how we arrive at a place of saying, well, man, how am I supposed to make this choice between my, my family following Christ and this other part of my family that's not following Christ. Well, ideally, we get them to a spot where we, we don't have to make the choice and everybody's together. And so does this mean that, again, that, that we're called to, to forsake any family that we have that's not part of the body of Christ, that we're, we're called to just say, oh, well, sorry, you're, you're not part of the team, so I'll, I'll just... Catch you later if you figure decide to sign up. Not at all. Of course not. But what this means is that even though you don't have a family that's supporting you, maybe you don't have a family that is encouraging you in your discipleship, in your walk with Christ, there is a family here that will. That is what the message is. is there is a family, a spiritual family that is here for you, that is a part of you that is seeking God's best in your life. And if you are lacking the physical family to support you in that, if you are lacking those things, we will be that. 
And we will be that not because we're really great at it. We'll be that because that's who Christ is. And we're called to be the body of Christ. Amen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us children of God. That we are a part of a family that is so much bigger than Wood Street Chapel. That we are part of a family that is bigger than anything that we could imagine. That this stretches beyond time, Lord. That we are part of your family. God, I ask that for those that are, are at a spot where they are dealing with family that is not supportive of them, that is not, that is not pushing them to grow in their discipleship, Lord, we ask that, that you would show us how to, how to support those people, God, how to encourage, how to give the words that need to be said, Lord, as we come this morning and seek your will in our families, in the lives of our spouses, in the lives of our parents, in the lives of our children, God, and whatever family relationships exist, God, we want to see your kingdom come in each of those. God, I, I pray specifically for the, the marriages that are represented here and for the, the parent-child relationships, Lord. I, I, I pray specifically for those things, God, that, that you would remind us what it means to put the needs of, of our family ahead of our own. That you would remind us what it means to be a follower of Christ. That we lay everything down. Lord, as we go from this place today, I ask that you would encourage, that you would strengthen. God, that you would remind those that need to be reminded that Wood Street Chapel is here as a family, that we are a a family of believers following Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 